Well, welcome to a brand new series that we are kicking off this week, and we're going to hang out here for a couple weeks uh, more with this. And let me just kind of tell you where this idea came from. It really, really stemmed from a lot of the questions that I receive on, on a weekend, especially over the last, uh, the last couple of months. These are just some of the questions that are just the most frequently asked questions by people. That and a combination of some, some crazy statistics on, on living our best life and, and why people want to do that and, and what that looks like and what that means. So, so that's kind of what we titled it, Living Your Best Life. Now, that title, those words have been kind of kicking around social media for a little while. In fact, if you were to look at Instagram, you would see that there are over 70,000 posts with that hashtag uh, attached to it. Now, I don't encourage you to go search them. Most of them are, are selfies, and, and we're not endorsing the content that's attached to that, to that hashtag, right? But, but what it does prove and what it does show is that people really do want to live their best life, right? That people want that in, in our lives. I've, I've said this before. I don't think anyone ever wakes up in the morning and is like, I hope today's average, right? Like, I hope I get stuck in some traffic, and I hope they mess my lunch order up, and there's nothing on but reruns tonight, right? Like, nobody, nobody wakes up wanting that. We all want, we all want our best life. And so what we do is that we come to times like January, right, where there's kind of this natural break and it's a, a new year. And so we set things like New Year's resolutions and we set new goals that are going to take us in that direction and guide us towards the life that we want for ourselves. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you, how many of you set New Year's resolutions or set goals this past January? How many of you did that? Okay, 15 of you. That's awesome. That's, a, that's okay. We're going to talk to you and we're going to talk to everyone else that didn't today. That's, that's really what, what this series is all about. Let me give you some, some stats. Here's, here's the first one. 92% of New Year's resolutions have failed by Valentine's Day, right? And, so, and some have that even earlier. Some is like the second week in January, but, but that, that's okay, right? Because that was about 10 days ago. So we're kind of at this place now where most of us, if you did set resolutions, if you did set goals for this year, you probably failed at most of them already, right? That's just what statistics would tell us. Here's some more. Uh, if you write your goals down, you are 50% more likely to achieving them. But here's another interesting stat that says only three out of 100 adults actually write their goals down, right? Which is not very many. So you've got a better chance of doing it if you write it down, but nobody, nobody seems to do it. In fact, a Harvard study that came out recently said this, 83% of the U.S. population do not set goals. So we kind of thought, man, what a, what a good time, right, to kind of talk about this and, and to make this kind of the next part of, of our journey this year and, and series as a church. Because if you set goals and re resolutions this year, you've probably in all likelihood failed already. And if you didn't, which was most of you, well, you have no direction going on in your life. And so we want to help. And we thought this was a good time to, uh, to talk about that. So what happens when we set resolutions, right? What happens when we set goals and, and then we do fail, right? They, they don't happen the way that we want or, or, or we kind of slip up or we miss a couple days and then we just kind of, we kind of cash the whole thing in. What, what do we do as a result of that? Well, I think most of us, we just kind of turn to the, the next best thing, which is that we, we post pictures of ourselves with the life that we pretend to have, right? Like that's, that's just, that's just kind of what we, what we do. In fact, stats, there's all kinds of stats on this too. 74% of all images shared on Snapchat 
are selfies, right? 74%. So three out of four pictures on, on Snapchat are all selfies. And you know that 99% of those pictures were not done with one take, right? Like, you know that they took it and they're like, oh, the light's not right and the angle's bad and I have too many chins, right? And so, like, they're, so now you're talking about three quarters of the pictures are all about me, right? Like, it's not about relationships. It's not about, like, incredible things that God's created. It's, it's just about me. And then none of those pictures or very few of them are real. They're staged. They're, they're, they're fakes, right? They're, they're me posing until I got the perfect pic so that I can present this image out there. A thousand selfies are posted to Instagram every 10 seconds. And there are 93 million selfies taken every, every single day, right? I mean, these are, these are just crazy stats. 19 out of 20 teens have taken a selfie. And the one that didn't was grounded and had their phone taken away from them, right? That's the only reason why they didn't, because you know it would be 20 out of 20. They just, they just didn't have their phone that day. Here's a crazy stat. Though. This, one, this one was maybe my favorite. It has nothing to do with this. I just thought it was interesting. More people died from taking selfies in 2015 than from shark attacks, right? Like, so this is, this is like dangerous for us to be in, in, this, in this territory. So we want our best life, right? Every single one of us wants this. Problem is, is that we don't really know what it means, right? We don't really know how to define it. Is it, is it working your dream job, right? Is that the best life? Or, or is it traveling all over the place? Is it, is it achieving a, a work-life balance? Whatever that means, right? Because I've never found that in, in my life. I, I don't know what that, what that looks like. Is it looking better now than you did when you were in high school or, or college, right? Is it making lots of money? What is it? We, most of us don't know what that best life looks like. And the other part is that we don't know, we don't know how to get it. And so we just pretend that our lives are better than they, than they actually are. What if we could change that? Right? What, what, if we could, what if we could change that in our lives? In fact, I think there are two verses in the Bible that can help us change our perspective, actually help guide us to live our best life. And it's in Proverbs verse, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. And, and I want to show you, I want to look at it from the message as kind of an overview um, right now, which is really just one man's interpretation of the Bible. But I love what it says here. It says this, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. And so that's what we're going we're gonna to do in this series. We're going to take a look at different parts of this verse over the next three weeks, right? And we're going to talk about how do we set goals that cause us to, to trust God from the, from the bottom of our hearts, right, so that we're not trying to figure out everything on our own. And next week, we're going to talk about how do we hear God's voice, right, because it says that we should be listening for God's voice in everything that we do and, and everywhere that we go. How do we do that? And then finally, how do we make good decisions that are going to keep us on track, that are going to help us become the people that we want to be and to experience the, the life that we really want to live? See, I think the place to start is, is by us setting some godly goals in our lives. Goals that are going to force us to, to trust God. Because if 83% of us, right, have, have no goals in our lives, which is what, what the stats tell us, then, then we have no focus in our lives, right? We, we don't know where we're going. We don't know what exactly it is that we're trying to do. And we don't know how to get there if we don't know any of those things. And so a lot of our lives end up looking like my golf game, right? Where you're just going back and forth and back and forth across instead of straight down the line as to where we should be going. I want to tell you a story. Uh, Greg Rochelle, in his book, It, he shares a story about a, a, about a greyhound dog race. And uh, I was at a, a track in, in Florida. And if you've never seen, a greyhound um, racetrack is like a horse racetrack. It's just smaller because the, 
the dogs are smaller, right? I mean, that's, that's the only reason why. And so there's no jockey on the dogs. That would be ridiculous unless you like duct tape a two-year-old to it, which could be fun, right? Uh, some of you may even have some volunteers for that, but that's illegal. So we don't, we don't do that. And so what they do is they actually release this mechanical rabbit, right? There's this fake rabbit that, that runs on the inside rail of the track. And so they release the rabbit and then they release the dogs afterwards to chase after this rabbit as their, as their motivation. And so the story goes on to say that, that they released and they start the rabbit. They open the gates and they release the dogs and the dogs begin to chase this mechanical rabbit around the track until there was a malfunction. Remember, it's not a real rabbit, right? But the, the rabbit exploded. And so there's like fur and wires, right? Like flying, flying everywhere. And as, as a result, it said that the story goes on to say that the dogs, not a single one of them actually finished the race. A couple of them got disoriented, right, and they started going in the wrong direction. They ran through the railing and actually broke a couple of ribs. Some of the other dogs, they just turned and started barking at the people in the crowd. Howl, right? They just started like howling at people for no reason. And then the rest of them, they just, they just sat down and stopped. They were like, forget this, right? Like, we're, we're done. I, I quit. If there's no motivation, there's no rabbit, I'm not running, right? Like, I, I'm done with this race. And I thought, what a picture of what life looks like when we when we don't have a goal, right? When we don't know what it is that we're chasing after in our lives, and then we're going to either hurt ourselves, or we're going to start hollering at, at other people, or we're just going to, to lay down and give up. When you aren't chasing godly goals in our lives, when we don't have that as our focus, what happens is that we just do whatever feels good in the moment, right? And we end up making all of our decisions based on that. See, even kids understand this. Right? Kids know how to set goals. This happens in schools all across America, right? Every single year, there's kids that are, what do you want to be when you grow up? And so I actually uh, found a couple of these and found some goals from kids in their lives. Here, here's some. Here's the first one. It's, is I want to succeed in herpetology. That's a thing. It really is a thing. I had to look it up because I didn't know. I, I thought they spelt it wrong, right? And I looked it up, and that's actually, that's actually a thing. And so, so that was one, one kid's goal. It's, I, I wouldn't do it, but that's fine for him. Here was a, a next kid in that same class said this, uh, have a wife and kids, right? That was their goal, is that I want to have a wife and kids. That's a, a great goal. Uh, the next one said this, breed dragons. That was, that was his goal, right? Breed dragons, which might be safer than a wife and kids, or herpetology, I meant. Herpetology. I, I, I was just an accident. No, it wasn't. Right? Like, maybe, maybe it is safer. Let's say. Here was another one. These are three things that you want to do in the future, right? Look at what this kid said. Get a girlfriend, kiss her, and rule the world, right? Like, that's it. I love it. I'm like, and it's in the right order, too, right? I feel like that's a good order for doing things. Uh, yeah, it was perfect. One other one, this one was great, is what do you want to be when you grow up? Said, I want to be Michael Jordan. What three things are you going to do? Get bigger, shave my head, and be black. Now, I don't know how Chris did with his goals, but uh, I guess two out of the three were achievable. I'm not sure about the, the last one, right? But, but even kids get this in their lives, right? They know how to set goals for themselves. Here's why this is so important. This is so important because, because spiritual goals, right? They're, they're godly goals. There are things that are, are godly, God-directed in our lives. They, they really come down to being a spiritual responsibility, right? This is something that God wants us to experience and wants us to go through. So you're going to go through life in either one of two ways. You're either going to go through by design or you're going to go through by default. See, if, if you set goals for your life, if you decide what it is that's really important, 
right, for you, then you're going to go after those things that are important, right? You're going to go by design. But if you just go by default, if you don't have a desire, if you don't know what things are important, if you don't have goals in your life, other people are going to have no problem deciding for you. And what happens as a result of that is when you don't have goals and other people are deciding, other people are influencing, whether it's your friends or, or our culture, stuff that you see on TV, whatever it might be, what happens is that you just end up reacting to circumstances, right? That, that's just how we end up living our lives, is if stuff happens and we just respond or we react to those things because we don't have something in front of us. We don't have something bigger that we're trying to pursue. And when you go through your whole life like that, you end up wasting your life because you haven't clarified what it is that is most important to you. See, if you don't have clear goals, then you just end up coasting in life. And every time you coast in life, right, it's automatic that you are going to go downhill. Because that's a, that's a fact, right? The only way to coast is to coast downhill. And that's why this is such an important spiritual discipline for us to figure out in our lives. Mike said this last week, and, and he set this up so perfectly for this series. Right? And he talked about the fact that God gives us every single day, God gives us 86,400 seconds for us to spend with our lives. And he asked us some questions. How are you spending your time? Right, he asked us a question, what are you giving your life to? And he said maybe the most important question is this, where and how are you investing your life? What are your goals? What's most important to you? What is it that you are trying to become? Who is it that you are trying to become? So when all these other things, all these other voices, all these other distractions, all these other circumstances come at you in life, you're going to say, no, 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 I, I know where I'm going. I know what it is that God wants to do. Look at Proverbs 3, 5 again. In the New International Version, it says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, the Hebrew word for trust, this is important, right? I, I want to define it for you. It says this, to physically lean upon something for support, to rely upon someone or something for help or for protection. Now, this is it, right? Is it God wants you to lean on him. He, it says trust in the Lord, right? To lean on him for, for help, for support, for protection. And, and, and lean on him with all of your heart. Now this word heart, too, it's important to understand. It's not just your physical heart. It's not just your emotions. It's all of you, right? It's all of your spiritual side. It, it's your physical side. It's everything that you are. And so it's, it's trust in the Lord. Lean on God with all of you. Look at the rest of the verse. It says, and lean not on your own understanding. I want to give you the, the, the Hebrew word for for do not lean, or, or for that word for lean not. And it means this, to physically lean upon something for support, to rely upon someone or something for help or protection. See, two different words, but the exact same definition. See, the, the author here is telling us that there's a contrast in our lives. There's a choice that we need to make. There's a, the Hebrew word for your understanding. It means that you're going to do things in your own wisdom. You're going to do the things that you think are best. Not God's wisdom, right? You're going to choose yours. You're going to do things your way because you know what's best. You know what feels best for you. And so you make those decisions for yourself or, or you let other people decide so that you are accepted by them, so that you fit in with them. See, this verse is telling us that, that is a very, very dangerous way for us to live. And so the word picture it's giving us is, is this, is that you lean on something with all of your weight, with all of you, right? You are going to put all of you onto something else. Just like you did with your chair when you walked in. 
Not a single one of you got down on your hands and knees and began to inspect your chair to see, like, I'm suspicious that maybe a middle schooler snuck in here, right, took all the screws out, and so I I just want to make sure, right, this is going to hold me up first to do a little weight test, right, we're going to try some things. No one did that. You came in and you sat down and you put all of your weight, you trusted it to hold you up. If you lean on God, he promises to hold you up. He promises to be the support and the protection and the help that you need in your life. But when you lean on anything else, anything else, it's guaranteed to collapse underneath you. You may get by for a while. It might hold you up for a while. You may feel like you're being successful for a while, but eventually it is going to collapse underneath you. And so what does this mean, right? What what does this look like in our lives? See, if your goals are, are too small, if your goals are selfish, if your goals have the wrong object at at the center of them, if you're relying on your wisdom, or maybe even worse yet, if you're relying on the wisdom of somebody else, you're going to go the wrong way. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to spend your life yelling at other people. You're just going to lay down and and give up. You're going to end up coasting downhill for the rest of your life. But when we have God-centered goals— God-sized goals, right? Things in our lives that that we couldn't accomplish on our own. Only God is going to be able to to do this in our lives. When When we allow our lives to be formed and shaped around the promises of God that he has made about us, then this forces us to trust God. And the promise that he has in this verse is that he will always, he'll always come through, right? That he's always going to hold us up. See, God has a plan for your life. And God has goals for who he wants you to become, and he has goals for what it is that he wants you to do. That's why he created you uniquely the way that he created you. It's why he gave you the DNA that you have. It's why you have the passions and the talents and the personality that you have. Because God has a specific plan designed for you. But it's going to require trusting him. It's going to require leaning on him with all of your weight, with everything that you've got. See, we all have a desire to live our best life. None of us wants to get to those last moments of our lives and have regrets. None of us wants to get to those last moments and and have a desire for a do-over. I I wish I could go back and and change that. So how do we live our best lives now? If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. That's where we're going to hang out for a little bit, uh, Philippians 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. You can follow along on the side screens, or you can download our app as well. We've got um, notes there. We're going to take a look at someone who had, had goals in his life, and, and his name is Paul. Paul was a, a follower of Jesus, but he wasn't always a follower of Jesus. And In fact, there was a, a period of time, the first half of his life, where he didn't, he didn't like Jesus. He didn't like anyone else that followed Jesus until he met Jesus. And when Paul met Jesus, everything in his life changed. And as a result, God began to use him. He began to, he started several churches. He began writing letters to encourage those churches, which ended up becoming most of our New Testament in our Bible that we have today. And so we're going to take a look at one of those letters that Paul wrote to a a church in Philippi, right? And, and And he wrote this while he was sitting in prison. And he's waiting for his execution, And yet here's Paul, even in the middle of that, he's setting goals and he's making plans for his future. And you might, you might look at that and go, Donnie, that's weird, right? Like if he's in prison and he knows his execution is coming, why is he making plans? Why is he setting goals? That seems very unrealistic. I don't think Paul was being unrealistic at all. I think he was being optimistic. I'm not going to waste a second of the life that God has given me and neither, neither should we. Look at Philippians 3 verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this 
or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. Let me give you four reasons why you should set lean-on-God kind of goals for your life. Here's the first one. Godly goals give me hope. They give me hope. Look at verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I, I press on. Can any of you relate to that? Not, not quite there yet, right? Not, haven't achieved everything. Not quite who God wants me to be yet. Any, any wives saying that their husbands aren't, aren't quite there yet, right? Like, we, we get this. Here's the good news, though. Paul felt that way, too, right? Paul's saying, yeah, I'm, I'm there, right? I've, but I've got a goal, and my goal is my source of hope in life. When, uh, when studies have been done of, of the survivors of the Holocaust, one of the things that the survivors of the Holocaust, that those who, who survived the atrocities that, that happened to them, one of the things that they all have in common is that they all had something to look forward to in their lives. They all had a reason to live. They had a purpose. There was something, some kind of goal in their lives that caused them to not give up, to not quit, but to keep fighting towards their freedom. See, life is full of losses. Maybe in this past year, you've lost someone close to you that you love. Maybe it's a, a job that you lost. Maybe you went bankrupt. Some other kind of loss in your life. Life is full of illnesses. Every day we get prayer requests as a church of people who are, are hurting and struggling and going through so many uh, different things. Life is full of tragedies and accidents. So we know life is hard. It's so easy to kind of get stuck in that place, isn't it? What godly goals do is that they help us to keep moving forward even when you feel like giving up. See, goals give you the hope to, to endure. I think the key words in, in this first verse are, are, are the ones at the end, but I press on. Right? I'm, I'm not going to stay there. I, I press on. Here's Paul. He's in prison. We know that he's been beaten several times. We know he's been shipwrecked, right? And, and he's waiting for his execution. And Paul goes, but I, I press on. I'm not quitting yet. I'm not done yet. God's not done with me. I'm not done yet either, right? And so, so being like Jesus, that was his goal, and that's what, what gave him hope even in those circumstances. See, whatever happened yesterday in your life, whatever didn't happen yesterday that should have happened in your life, whatever goals you set last year that, that are still your goals this year, whatever mistakes you've made in your past, so important, I want you to know this. We serve the God of second chances. That, that's who we serve. He never gives you just one chance. Thursday night, I was invited by my friend Jerry to go to a Campbell University and to watch um, their basketball team. Actually, we went to watch Chris Clemens, who um, is a basketball player for, for Campbell, and he's actually the leading scorer in the entire NCAA right now, across the entire country. Like, not, it's not someone from Duke or Carolina, right, or anything like that. He goes to Campbell, and so we went and watched him play. And, and he scored 27 points um, that night. And to be honest, I, I don't think he was really, he was kind of struggling a little bit, right? 27 points is great, but, but he missed, they always miss more shots than they make, but he missed a lot of, of shots, right? And in fact, there were stretches where he went five, six, seven shots and, and, and no baskets. But what I think impressed me most is that he didn't stop trying. Right? He didn't get to like three or four or five misses and go, hey, well, you, you better start shooting, right? Like, I, I just don't have it today. It's just, it's just a, he just kept going. He kept trying. And it reminded me so much of God. 
God is, I think, like my basketball coach in high school who stood under the backboard, right? And, and every time I would take a shot and miss, which was most of the time, right? He would grab that rebound and he'd pass it back out and he'd say, shoot again, Donnie, right? And, and he'd get it again and shoot again, Donnie, right? And shoot again, Donnie. And he, and he would just give me chance after chance after chance. See, we serve the God of second chances. We serve a God who loves to give do-overs in life. See, no matter what you have done, God's not done with you yet. See, goals give me hope. Twelve years ago, uh, I've shared this with you before, we were in a, a car accident. Uh, we were in California and our family. Uh, Ty got some broken glass in his face. Uh, Laura broke her, her clavicle. She had uh, several hematomas on, on her body. Uh, I broke my hip and, and a couple ribs and punctured a lung. I had um, some severe internal injuries and I broke um, most of my face, and, uh, which was the worst part because I used to be gorgeous. And, uh, and this, is, this is what's left. Um, this is not true. I actually, I, this is what I looked like before. If you're going to have plastic surgery, right, on your face, Southern California is the place to, to have uh, a car accident. Although I told him I looked like Brad Pitt, and this is what came out. So he really wasn't that good. I should have had better insurance. But we were, we were, I was in the hospital for almost a month, right, after this accident. And here's one of the things that I, I learned, right, as I watched the nurses who were there to take care of me. It was so much more than just, like, passing out meds, right, and, and stuff like that. They would set goals for me to, to get better. They would set goals for me to, to start to work towards small steps to help me uh, get the achievements that I needed so that I could leave the hospital. Maybe it started by after surgery, just, just beginning to sit up. And then eventually it was to, to sit on the side of my bed, right? And then from there it was to stand up. And from there, they set goals of helping me go to the restroom by myself. And then eventually, eventually they set goals for me to stand up and, and to use a walker so that I could go around and they could walk me down the hall so that everyone could see my rear end hanging out of my gown, right? Which I, I think was also one of their goals because they just laughed the whole time that, that that happened. See, it doesn't matter even if your goals are small. Goals can give you hope. Here's the second one. Godly goals give me focus. Look at verse 12. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. See, in other words, Paul's saying, guys, I've got things I still want to do in my life. I love Paul's focus, right? And I love the five words that he uses, but one thing I do. See, Paul knows the end is near. But there's things he wants to accomplish. There's places he wants to go. Maybe churches he still wants to start. Conversations that he wants to have with people. And so he narrows things down to a singular focus in his life. He said, here's my goal going forward. I want to forget what is behind me. Right? I want to put that behind me. See, Paul had a past. And I know some of you are sitting here thinking, Donnie, if you, if you knew my past, right? If you knew what I've done, if you knew where I've been, if you knew who I voted for, whatever it is, right, that you're struggling with, right? Like, I get you've got a past. I've got a past. We all have a past. Paul had a past. See, remember the first half of Paul's life, right? It, very different than, than this Paul that we're talking about now. He was very well educated. He had all kinds of accomplishments to his name. But he wasn't a very nice man, in fact, he spent a lot of his time saying not-so-nice things about Jesus. He walked around judging and hating people who were, who were simply just different than he was. He had Christians put in prison and even put to death. Like Paul had a past that was full of mistakes. And see, Paul's not pretending here that, that he didn't sin. Right? Paul's not pretending that those things didn't happen. He knew exactly what had happened in his life. But what he also knew was that, that none of those things were ever going to stop God from, from loving him. And choosing to use him. 
And so Paul says, forgetting what is behind. Right? I'm, I'm walking away from that stuff. Right? That, that, that stuff is not going to define who I am anymore. And, and maybe some of you are in this room are, are saying, Donnie, how do you do that? Right? Because I would love to be able to walk away from it. How, how do you do that? It's simple. God had forgiven him of all of those things, and so he decided to, to just release it. Right? If the God of the universe, the God who is in control of all things, if he is willing to forgive you of your mistakes, of your past, of all of that stuff, why would you hold on to it? Paul's like, I'm, I'm going to forget about it. I'm going to walk away from that because that doesn't define who I am. It wasn't about what Paul had done. It was about who Paul was through Jesus. And it's no different for any of us sitting here today. See, Paul, instead, he chose to focus to go in a different direction. It says, in straining toward what was ahead. I love that he chose that word strain, right? You, you get the intensity that comes with it and the, the effort and the sacrifice and the discipline that's involved in that, right? It's not going to be easy. Paul recognizes that, but, but it's okay because it's the most important thing. And so it became his focus. I remember reading a story of uh, U.S. Olympic shooter Matthew Emmons, and this was uh, back in the 2004 uh, Olympic Games in, in uh, Athens. And he was competing in the, the 50-meter uh, three-position rifle competition. And he was actually one of the best in the, in the world, and, and he, was, he was so far ahead of everyone else in the competition at that moment that all he had to do, he had finished the first two rounds, two different positions of shooting. He had one more to go. All he had to do was hit the target. And, and he would win gold, right? Like, that's all he had to do. He was that far ahead of everyone else in their competition. And as I read about this a little bit more, it's amazing what these guys do, right? They, these athletes, they, they have this ability of calming themselves down and of slowing their heart rates down so they become just rock steady, right? There's no jitter at all. There's no movement. There's no, they're just rock steady. And, and so for them, for, for someone like this, right, just hitting the target, they, they could do this with their eyes closed. This was like the easiest thing for them. And so here he is, he's in first place, right? And, and, and all he has to do is hit the target and, and he wins gold. He, he begins to slow his heart rate down, right? And he's rock steady and he takes aim. And boom, bullseye. Except he hit the wrong target. And he went from first place to eighth place, no medal. And I thought, man, that describes so many of us, right? That we're trying and we take aim and boom, bullseye. Problem is, is that we're shooting at the wrong target. So godly goals give us focus. Here's the next one. Godly goals stretch my faith. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What was Paul's goal going forward? Look back at, at verse 10. It says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and, and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. See, this was Paul's goal. It was to know Jesus and to be like him. And so that's all he wanted, right? That was everything to him, is that he would know more and more and more about Jesus, that he would know him personally. He would have such a close relationship with Jesus. Not just knowing about Jesus. He wanted to know Jesus so that he would become like Jesus. See, that should be the goal of every single follower of Jesus. And here's the great news. The great news is this, is Jesus has done everything to make that a reality for you. Through everything that he did through his life and through his death on the cross, that he's done everything to, to set us up so that we can know him personally and we can be like him in our lives. But there's a catch, right? The catch is this, is it requires faith. 
You can't do this on your own, right? It's not about you doing anything. God has done it all for you, and he's, he's doing it in your life right now. See, it doesn't matter how often you go to church. It doesn't matter how many small groups you're a part of. It doesn't even matter if you serve in, in middle school ministry, right? Like, that makes you a saint, but it doesn't get you into heaven automatically, right? Like, it, it just doesn't work that way. It's only by faith in who Jesus is and what he has, what he has done for you. So I want to make this a challenging statement to you. If, if you don't have goals in your life, then you're not living by faith. Right? Because, because goals, godly goals, they stretch my faith. In fact, I would say they are they're statements of faith. Because they're me saying, God, I believe that you want me to become like this. God, I believe that you want me to do that on this date. Right? These are things that, that are stretching my faith so that I depend on you. I'm trusting you are going to help accomplish this in my life. That you're going to change my character. That you're going to help me in my family, in my career, with my children, with my finances, in the ministry that I serve in. In fact, look what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26. Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So you let the size of your God determine the size of your goal. I dare you to dream, dream big, big dreams. Because that's the kind of God that we serve. And so I want you to ask yourself this week, if I set some goals in my life, are they going to require faith? Right? Would this goal really stretch my faith? Here's the last one. Godly goals build our character. They build our character. Look at verse 15. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. See, God's number one purpose in our lives is to grow us up spiritually. It's to develop our character to make us more like Jesus. Jesus was the perfect example of what God wants us to be. And so he wants us to, to think like Jesus and to act like Jesus and to talk like Jesus and feel like Jesus and respond to people like Jesus would. That, that's what God's goal for our lives is. This life is a, is a course in character development. And it's hard. It's not going to be hard in heaven, but it's hard here right now because God is testing us because he wants to grow your character which means that who you are becoming is more important than the things that you do. And I know some of you are like, well, then, then Donnie, why? Right? Why would I set goals in my life if what I do isn't as important as, as what I become? Well, here's why. Because while you're working on your goal, God is working on you. While you're working on changing a, a circumstance in your life, while you're trying to, to bring change in your family or, or with your finances or in your career, wh wh whatever it is that you're trying to do, as you're working on changing your circumstance, God is working on changing your character. God is trying to make you more like his son. So becoming like Jesus is not automatic and is definitely not fast. It is going to take your entire life. But God has a plan for you. But before God leads me, I need to learn how to lean on him. So how do I start living my best life? Let me give you two things real quick. First is this, dream big. Dream big. Right? What one thing, if changed in your life, what one thing would make the biggest difference in your life? What's the biggest thing that you can imagine God doing in your life and, and through you? Maybe, let me ask it this way. What, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Right? If you knew that God was holding you up and supporting you and protecting you and helping you, if you knew you couldn't fail, what, what one thing would you try? Would you say, God, I, I, think, this is, I think this is who you made me to be. I, I would be so excited to go after this thing in my life. So you set a goal that is going to require you to lean on God alone. 
Let me give you two clarifying questions as, as you're setting that goal. The first is this, will, will my goal honor God? Right? Is this a goal that is going to cause me to trust God more? Is it, is it a goal that's going to cause me to, to lean on him, to depend on him? Is it a goal that is going to cause me to honor God? That's the first question. And the second is, is it motivated by love? Is this goal going to help me to love God more and to love other people more? Is this goal going to help me to serve God more and, and to serve other people more? Is this, God going to, or is this goal going to make me less selfish in my life? See, it's okay if your biggest thing now isn't your biggest thing later. You, as you dream, as you trust God, as you, as you pursue him, he's going to continue to give you newer and bigger goals for your life. But you start by asking God to show you, God, who do you want me to be? Dream big. And here's the second is you start small. See, the world's most successful people agree that what you get by achieving your goal is not as important as who you become in the process of going after it. Setting goals is the first step of turning the invisible into, into the visible in your life. And so I want you to set a goal for 90 days, because 90 days is about as, as long as a human can kind of focus, right, before we, we, we can dream about things beyond that, but 90 days is something that, that is tangible that we can go after, and I want you to set a small goal that is going to help you get closer to that bigger dream, that bigger goal that you have, and I want you to write it down, right, because we know that 50% that of the goals that are written down are more likely to be achieved, and I want you to be specific. What is it going to be? What are you going to do? Who are you going to do it with, right? Like, how much is it going to cost? What do those things look like in your life? Share that goal with someone who's going to hold you accountable. Maybe it's, my goal is just to, to, read, to read the Bible every day for the next 90 days, for two minutes. Right? That's two minutes more than I'm doing right now. I just gonna, I'm going to read it for two minutes every day. That's great. That's a great goal. Right? Keep adding to that over time. Maybe it's, I'm, I'm going to serve in a ministry and I'm going to make a difference in the life of someone else. Right? Uh, I've heard people talking about it. Mike talked about it last week right? and, and said there's all these opportunities and all of these needs. I don't want to waste the seconds that God has given me. I want to use my life to make a difference in the life of someone else. Maybe it's to be more generous. And so I'm going to set some short-term goals, some small goals that are going to help me get my finances in order so that I can be a more generous person. I can give into the lives of others. Maybe it's to stop a relationship or stop a habit so that you can get into a healthier relationship or develop a new healthier habit. And then after 90 days, when that new habit is developed in your life, then you set a, another small goal. Right, that's going to continue to help you chase after the dream that God has placed in your heart. Craig Rochelle said this, choose your pain, the pain of regret or the pain of discipline. Right, there, there's going to be pain in life. There, there's going to be a pain no matter what you choose to do with what you're hearing today. It's either going to be the pain of regret, I wish I had done more with my life, or the pain of discipline that says it's hard at times, but it's so worth it watching what God is doing in my life and who it is that he's making me to be. Next week, we're going to talk about how do we hear from God, right? How do we know that it's God that's speaking to us and not just the, the burrito we ate for lunch, right? And so how do, we, how do we distinguish between those two things? And so I'd love for you to come back and, and be a part of that. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, thank you so much that you, you're a God that sets goals, God, you had, you had a goal for the universe. You have a goal for history. You have a goal for eternity. And God, you have a goal for us. God, you don't operate by accident. Father, every day, every day has been planned by you. Before you laid the foundations of the world, Father, your word says that every day is written down. God, because, because it matters to you. And God, what an, what an incredible encouragement that is to me. 
God, that proves to me that you care about us, that you, you care about our lives, that you, would, that you would even go to that kind of detail. God, will you help us to trust? Will you help us to lean on you with all of our lives? God, to be the source of our support, the source of our help, the source of our protection. God, may we find our purpose and our joy and our fulfillment in life in you. God, help us to intentionally invest the lives that you have given us, the, the seconds that you give us every single day. Help us to invest to become more and more like Jesus. And then, God, will you help us to discover the things that you created us to do, that you made us uniquely able to do, and to find joy and fulfillment in that. So, God, speak clearly to us. Burden our hearts. Help us to set goals that are going to give us hope, Goals that are going to give us focus in our lives. Goals that are going to stretch our faith. And goals that are going to develop our character to make us more like you. We love you, Jesus. We thank you and praise you. And we pray all of these things in your name. Amen.